0: Alright, good morning everybody. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, as you can see, there's still a number of us that are recovering from being sick and are away this morning to, in order to not spread whatever they got going on. So, uh, we just want to take a second and pray again for those people in our body that have been struggling with sickness. So, if you guys would just join me. Lord, right now we lift up our brothers and sisters uh, that have been struggling with illness, and we just ask you to meet them right where they're at and touch their bodies. Lord, bring complete and total healing to them, that they could be back together with us and worshiping you and praising you. We just ask you to touch them right where they're at and even meet with them in their home as they watch this uh, message this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, two quick announcements. First of all, we want to let you know that we have decided to um, cancel the Christmas party uh, that was planned for upcoming week. Um, we decided to cancel it for this year because of there being so much sickness in Wyoming County in the area, and we'll look for a time in the future where we can party together, maybe a Christmas in July or something, some such thing, who knows. Um, so we'll look forward to that. And then also, this is the last call for those people who wanted to commit to give uh, in the missions to support our missionaries. Maybe you hadn't had a chance to hand that in yet. This is the last time you can do that. And if you forgot your paper, there's a couple back on the sound booth that you could have. And if you're listening online and you still want to do that, you could just email us here at the church office. All right. Uh, Last week I started a, a message on Thanksgiving as a weapon, and this morning I'm going to continue that message. I hope you guys all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, and maybe you took opportunity while you guys were together to practice what I talked about last week. Last week the first level of Thanksgiving that I talked to you about was thanking God for the provision in our life, and we ended last Sunday morning by practicing. I had each of us just go ahead and start sharing some things that we were thankful for, provision for God in our life. That's usually what our family does as a tradition on Thanksgiving. We actually did it uh, this last Wednesday evening at dinner. My family sat down, and we all thanked the Lord for various areas that we saw his provision and his faithfulness in our life, and just expressed that gratitude to him for providing for our family. So that first level of thanksgiving, thanking God for the provision, was taught to us by Moses. He talked about oftentimes when we receive the promise that God gives us, when we receive the promise, sometimes we can forget the provider. So when we thank God for the things he's provided for us, it reminds us to appreciate who he is and what he's done for us. The second teacher that we have, you guys didn't hear about this last week, the second teacher that we have is David. And he speaks to us out of Psalm 23. Many of you will be familiar with this scripture. I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David wrote this portion of Scripture from what he calls the valley of the shadow of death. Valley of the Shadow of Death doesn't exactly sound like a good place. If you're looking to start a resort in Wyoming County, I would not recommend the Valley of the Shadow of Death for the name of your resort. I don't think it's going to work out too well. It's not too fun of a place. For David, the Valley of the Shadow of Death is when you're in the thick of life's pains, in the thick of life's trials, going through the hard things in life that we all go through. One of our least favorite promises in the Word of God is, In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise that we will have trouble in this world. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to all of us. There's no way around it. It's just part of our human experience. And here David is in the valley of the shadow of death. On the first level of thanksgiving, we learn to thank God for the things that we can see, the things that he's provided for us, the things that are right in front of us, and we can say, Lord, I thank you for this food that you provided for me. In this second level of thanksgiving, we learn to thank God in the times in life that we can't see. Uh, On this first level of thanksgiving, thanking God for his provision in our life, it's not too hard of a thing to do. It's kind of like just having good manners. It's like what we expect our kids to do is to thank us when we put food on the table. But this second level of thanking God, learning to thank him in the valley, is a whole other deal. It's a lot more difficult. It's not too hard to thank God when you've had this forever home that you've been waiting for and finally this home comes on the market and you put in an offer and it gets accepted and you take a, a picture with your family in the front yard and you're holding up the realtor's sign and it says sold at the top. It's not too hard to thank God on that day. It's kind of easy to thank God. You're full of gratitude on that day. But maybe you're a nurse and maybe, uh, maybe you just lost your job because you didn't feel comfortable getting the vaccine for whatever reason. And you're one mortgage payment behind, and you know you're about to be another mortgage payment behind, and you're afraid you're going to lose this house that you wanted. Can you find a way to still walk in gratitude to God in that valley of life? It's not too hard to thank God on the night that you get engaged. You're super excited, like you've been waiting for this dream to come true. You've been wanting to get married for so long. You're planning your wedding, you're planning your honeymoon, you're planning your life together. It's not too hard to thank God and be grateful to God on that day. But what about when you went to college and you thought for sure you were going to leave college with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you were hoping to get engaged, and you graduated from college and it wasn't happening, and then eventually 30 rolled around and it's not happening, and you're staring down the barrel at 40 going, God, like, is this dream that you gave me that you put in my heart, is it ever going to happen? You don't understand why it's not happening. In that valley, can you find a way to still walk in gratitude to God. It's not that hard to thank God when you roll out the parking lot at the car dealership and you finally got your new truck. Maybe you've been driving an old whoop Toyota with 248,000 miles on it. It's got a cassette player. You can use it to listen to old prophetic words, but that's about all it's good for. Just waiting for that thing to die so you can finally get a new truck. It's not too hard to thank God and walk in gratitude when you roll off the parking lot at the dealership with a new truck. But what about when you're sitting in the emergency room, there's cuts all over your body, the doctor stitching up a cut above your eye where you hit your head on the steering wheel and your new truck just got smashed like a pop can. Can we still walk in gratitude when we find ourselves in that valley? Psalm 23 starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a picture of the shepherd gently leading his sheep. But the deeper picture is of us learning to trust the Lord in the trials of life we expect our kids to express gratitude when we put food on the table but what about in the hard stuff of life what about in the trials what about in the valley what david says is you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies so what we learn here is that at this table of life it's not just us and jesus if it's just us and jesus we can say god is good all the time All the time, God is good. But that's probably not happening at this table because at this table, it's not just us and Jesus. Our enemies are also at this table. Our fears are at this table. Our insecurities, our worries are at this table. Our addictions are at this table. Our doubts, our confusion is at this table. In the presence of what we've lost, in the presence of our own failures, in the presence of hopelessness and anxiety. You know, I try not to have this level two kind of worship service, this level two kind of thanksgiving in front of you all on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I have. There's been times where I haven't been able to help it. I mean, I've been leading worship here since I was Jocelyn's age, but I've been on staff here for 17 years. And in those 17 years, there certainly has been times where I came to church on a Sunday morning and I was in the valley of the shadow of death. I was going through a trial in my life. I was going through a a time that was difficult. Maybe some of you can remember times where you saw me stand up to lead worship, and I'm like trying to squeak out words between tears streaming down my face. There's times where that's happened. I try not to do it too often because it's a little embarrassing, but there's been times where that's happened. Usually when I'm walking in this kind of thanksgiving where I'm thanking God, sometimes I'm, I'm alone in my office and I'm crying, and I just say, God, Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being with me in this hard time. Sometimes I get in my car and I drive to a place where no one could find me and no one could hear me and I yell out and I say, God, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. How could you allow this to happen in my life? But God, I still trust you. David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What that means is that in this valley... If you can learn to still walk in gratitude, David says you're going to eat. You're going to eat at this table. Health experts tell us that the most important meal of the day is breakfast. And I know some of us run out of the house and we don't really get breakfast and we're in a hurry to run about our day. But still, the experts tell us breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And the reason for that is at breakfast, you're supposed to consume the nutrition, the, the calories, the uh, nutrients that you need for the job that you're about to do in the morning. And then you go and you do that work because you have the energy to do it. And then at about 11 or 11.30, your, stum- your stomach starts rumbling, and you're getting hungry, and you go back and you have lunch, and you consume more nutrients and more nutrition and more energy for the job that's ahead of us. What David is saying here is that if we can walk in gratitude, God will cause our enemies to literally feed us what we need for what's ahead in our life. Just like in in the morning, we consume at breakfast for the job that's ahead. If we can learn to walk in gratitude, God will cause our enemies to give us the nutrients, the tools that we need for what God is calling us to in this next season. God takes the things that we're trying to take you out, your enemies in your life, and he causes them to give you encouragement. He causes them to give you everything you need for the place that God is taking you. We see this beautifully illustrated in the life of Jesus. Jesus was in the garden, and then he was arrested. He's carrying a cross down Via De La Rosa. He's surrounded by his enemies. People are literally spitting on him and shouting at him, surrounded by his enemies. And then they tell us that these Roman officers took a cat of nine tails, which is like a, a stick, with nine straps of leather on it. And on the end of that leather is tied glass and bone fragment. And they would take the cat of nine tails and they would whip it into Jesus' back and literally rip the flesh off of his back. Jesus is surrounded by his enemies. And surely, I can promise you, this is the valley of the shadow of death for Jesus. This is a horrible time, what he's feeling on the inside. And the scripture tells us that it is by Jesus' stripes that you and I are healed. So what that means is that what Jesus received when he was surrounded by his enemies, he received these stripes on his back. His enemies gave him what he needed in that time for the place that God was calling him to where he could minister healing to you and to me. Jesus was whipped on the back. It wasn't fun. This was the valley of shadow of death in his life. In fact, at one point, just a few moments later, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's kind of like me driving off in the middle of nowhere and saying, God, what are you doing? I can't see what you're doing in my life. It doesn't make sense. But because Jesus stayed in the place of trusting the Father, he was able to, in the next season of life, in the next season, he was able to minister healing to you and me. Because of what he received from his enemies in that moment. In the hard stuff, David says, You prepare a table for me in the trials of life in the valley. You know, I think some of us have forgotten that we're in a war in our life. And I have to apologize to you because I feel like the American church has served up an idea of Christianity that is just not true. There is not one day of your life that you wake up that you're not at war. And some of us don't like being at war. Like We don't want to be. It just doesn't sound fun. It's like, you know, I'd rather things just be calm and cool and chill, and I kind of would too, but we don't really have that luxury. Every day that you wake up, the enemy of your soul is going to do everything he can to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy your life. Every day he's going to. And the American church kind of has this idea, it's like we embrace like a Mary Poppins type of Christianity, when really that doesn't exist. It's more like a Braveheart type of Christianity is what we're dealing with here. It's like we have this idea that like, well, I'll just stay over here, and, and I made a treaty with the enemy. I made a treaty with Satan, and he's going to stay over there and do his thing, and, and I'll stay over here and do mine, and it'll be okay. We'll kind of play nice together. He won't mess with me, and I, I won't mess with him, and I'll read my prayer of Jabez, and he'll increase my territory. And I listened to a little Joel Osteen, and he told me I could just look in the mirror and tell myself it's going to be a good day, and it will be a good day. I'm sorry, but that doesn't exist. It's not real. You are at war with the enemy. And a tool that God has given us to fight the enemy is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It doesn't feel like a tool. It doesn't feel aggressive. It doesn't feel like a cat of nine tails in our hand that we can use. But what it causes us to do is in the presence of our enemies, it causes us to receive what God wants us to receive for the task that's ahead. The first stage of thanksgiving is learning to thank God for the provision of our life. The second stage is learning to thank him in the valleys of life. The step from that first stage to the second stage was like a serious step. Like it, we went from like playing with play-doh to building a house. Like it was a big, big step. And some of us, honestly, some of us fall off there. I've seen a lot of Christians fall off the boat in that stage in the valley. They say yes to God. They say yes to serving Him. But then they find themselves in a valley, and it's like, I thought serving God was meant everything was going to be easy. I thought everything was going to be okay. But now it's hard and it's challenging. In that place, if we can stay in that place of thanksgiving, God will cause us to receive what he wants us to receive for what he's called us to. Wouldn't it be great if we could take the enemies of our life, the things that were coming after us, trying to kill us, and make them serve the purposes of God in our life? The things that have been coming after you, trying to take you out, God will take those things and use them to create a calling, to create a place where you can minister to people around you. The first stage, we thank God for the provision. The second stage, we thank him in the valley. Moses teaches us about the first stage. David teaches us about the second. And now we go on to the third level, which is Paul who teaches us about this. Here we have Paul who's in prison. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's been thrown in prison. Historians tell us that Paul probably wasn't eating much food. If you were in prison in those days, the only way you got food was if people who loved you brought you food. There was no, in, uh, no, uh, no people watching over the jail to feed you. Just your loved ones could bring you food. But people were afraid to bring Paul food because they were afraid that they would be either killed or they would be thrown in prison themselves. So historians tell us that Paul was actually probably starving to death when he was in this prison it's from this prison that he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. This is Philippians 3.17. He says, The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Let's just start, stop there for a second. Here Paul is. He's in prison. He's chained up. And he's starving to death. I don't know about you, but that feels like enough trouble in my life. If I'm starving to death and I'm in chains, literally chained to the floor, that seems like enough stuff to deal with. But then Paul tells us he's got these jokers trying to stir up more trouble in his life. How many of you have ever been in that place where you feel like, I've got enough stuff I'm dealing with in my life? I've got enough demons I'm trying to fight? Like, The last thing I need is more people trying to stir up more trouble in my life, stir up more trouble for me, stir stir up more drama for me. Here Paul is, he had enough to deal with, but he's got these people stirring up more trouble for us. And I got to tell you, one of the worst things that I see in the body of Christ is when we find ourselves in that place, like adding insult to injury, we tend to adopt a victim's mentality, a victim's mindset. It's like... Woe is me, like, why am I having to deal with this? I'm I'm never going to get out of this. Nothing's ever going to get better. But Paul, Paul is not that kind of guy. Paul actually has a little bit of edge to him. Paul has a little bit of attitude. And this is what Paul says. He says, but what does it matter? Some of you need to get a little, what does it matter? That's like, go on, brush your shoulders off. I don't really care. Kick off the dust. Your trouble to me means nothing. I'm not going to let you mess with me. Paul says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. Listen to this. And because of this, I rejoice. Because the trouble, Paul rejoices. I don't know if you guys have seen those Snickers commercials where it's like they show these people like, Acting all kinds of crazy, and it's like, listen, you're not yourself when you're when you haven't eaten. And they give him a Snickers bar, and they eat, and they turn into a normal person. Like, I'm starting to wonder, is that what's going on with Paul? I mean, the guy is he's starving to death. Like, is he delusional? Has he lost his mind? He rejoices over the trouble in his life. The third area is we thank God because of the trouble. Now, Paul is not some sadistic person that enjoys pain or something like that. What Paul is doing is he's thanking God because he knows what the pain is producing in his life. It's like in the book of James when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various troubles because it produces patience and it produces all these other things. Paul is saying he knows that the pain he's experiencing in this trouble is going to produce something in his life. What trouble has been stirred up in your life lately? What trouble has come out of nowhere? What crisis? What we need to understand here, what Paul wants us to understand that's super important, is that when it comes to God, nothing is wasted in your life. No trial you walk through will be wasted. No pain you've experienced in your life will be wasted. God doesn't waste one ounce of it in your life. Everything that you walk through, if you can live surrendered to God and learn to rejoice and trust Him, even in the trouble, He won't waste a drop of it. There's something that I tell myself often when I'm walking through hard times, when I find myself in a place where I feel like just trouble has been stirred up in my life. It's this phrase, I, I say it often to myself I say, for my good and God's glory. For my good and God's glory. If we can walk in a place of thanksgiving and trust in God, we will learn that all the trouble that we walk through in life, God will always find a way to weave it for our good and His glory. We've been in a season in our country where there's just been trouble stirred up everywhere. Like around every corner, everyone's got some level of trouble in our life. And God wants you to know this morning, if you will walk in thanksgiving, He's telling you right now, He will weave it together for your good and his glory. So how do we do that? How do we walk in thanksgiving when we're, like here Paul is, chained up in prison, and then these other people are stirring up even more trouble in his life. How do we do that? Like how is that even possible? I want to tell you guys a a story to illustrate this. Seven years ago, my dad and I went on a missions trip, and we went all over Asia, visiting missionaries and friends that were serving God there. It was a crazy trip. I think I can't remember exactly, but I think we took like 13 flights in 16 days or something like that. It was like we'd fly into a place and see some friends, and then hop on a plane and go to the next one. And it was just, it was like that every day. There was one missionary that we were going to visit, and he was so excited for us to go visit him. He actually hadn't had anybody from home, anybody that knew from home visit him since he had been overseas. He was super excited and he told me, he said, I can't wait to take you to my favorite restaurant. He said, I've been dying to take one of my friends from back home to this restaurant. Like, you're gonna love it. I was like, okay. So we fly in and we get our luggage and he helps us get it and we take it to where we're staying and we get ourselves settled there. And he's like, are you hungry? So we're gonna go to my, re- my favorite restaurant. Are you guys hungry? We're like, sure. So we hop in his car, his Jeep, and he starts taking us to this restaurant. He starts telling us this story about this missionary. And he got super into this story. And he's telling us all about this missionary and all the stuff that's going on in his life. And then we get to the restaurant and he's like literally walking backwards into the restaurant as he's like telling us the story. And he just like won't even stop the story. Like he's so into this story. We sit down at the table, still telling us the story. This waitress comes over and she brings the menus and she hands them to us. And he's still telling us the story. So while he's telling the story, I'm like, I better look at the menu like, to figure out what I'm going to eat, because I know the waitress is going to come back and ask what we want to eat. So I look at the menu, and overseas, this is my biggest fear when it comes to menus, is there's no pictures, and I certainly can't read what's written on there. So I'm like, great, like, what are we going to do here? I don't even know. So he's still telling us the story. The waitress comes back, and she says something to him. And he says something back to her, and then she says something back to him, and he looks at us and he says, she wants to know what you guys want to eat. And he's been telling us a story. like He hasn't told us what this restaurant is, what the food is, like nothing. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of food they have here, and I can't read the menu. I said, what did you order? And he said, I told the chef, surprise me. And I'm like, all right. So I don't know what's on this menu. I don't even know what kind of food they make. So I'm like, all right, I'll have whatever you're having. And my dad said the same thing. So he tells her, and she says, OK. So he, he, she leaves, and he finishes telling us this story. Now, he felt very confident in saying to this chef to surprise him. But maybe you guys don't know this about me, but I'm not a big fan of surprises when it comes to food. Like, I kind of like to know what I'm eating and like to know what's in there. and Especially if I'm overseas, sometimes it seems a little sketchy, a little questionable. I don't really know how I feel about this. So I'm like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say I have to go to the bathroom, and I'm going to take a nice, slow walk past the kitchen. There's a big window there. At least I can see inside and see what's going on back there. Like, there's animals that I don't really want to eat, and maybe I can just leave or something. Like, I don't know. So I walk real slow by the kitchen, and there's this big, big long window, and I'm walking real slow and I look in there, and there's just steam everywhere. Like I can't see hardly anything. And then the steam kind of clears, and I see the chef, and he's this like Asian guy, and he's going like this, smiling and waving at me, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't really helpful. So I wave back and I go to the bathroom, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try another angle this time. So I come back and I the kitchen's over here, and I'm like, maybe if I start on this side of the restaurant and I walk towards the kitchen, it will give me like. 20 seconds if I walk real slow that I could see in there and see what's going on. So I tried that, nothing. I can't see anything. I have no idea what this food is. So I'm like, all right, so I just go sit down and just kind of brace myself for what I'm about to eat. Finally, I was getting a little more nervous, so I said to the missionary, I said, so it seems like you felt pretty confident if you told the chef, surprise me. I said, how in the world could you feel so confident with this guy that you could just tell him, surprise me? He says, I've been here for 10 years. I've eaten here at least once a week for 10 years, sometimes multiple times throughout the week. He so said, every time I'm, in, I'm down here in the city at least once a week, sometimes I come for uh, language lessons, more than that, I eat here every chance I get. So that means he's had over 500 meals at this restaurant. He said, not one time have I ever walked away and said anything other than, that was incredible. He said, I've ordered every single thing on the restaurant. Every single thing on the menu. There's not one thing on there I haven't ordered. In fact, I've ordered things on the menu that I ordered at other restaurants and thought that was disgusting. I'm never eating that again. I came back here. I ordered the same thing, and it was so good. I've ordered food with ingredients in it that I know I don't like. And still, it was amazing. Every single dish this guy's made me, I have loved. He had a long history. Me, I've got no history with this chef. Like I'm like, I don't know about this. Like I don't even want to do it. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what, the, what this guy is stirring up for me back there. I don't know what he's putting in the pot. But this missionary has 10 years, over 500 meals, that this one chef has made him. And because of that, every single meal was good. And he had such a deep trust for this, for this chef, so much so that he says, Whatever you bring into my life, I know it's going to be good. It doesn't matter if there's ingredients in there that I wouldn't pick. It doesn't matter if it's a dish that I've had before and I didn't like. You're such a good chef that I'll take whatever you give me because I know it's going to be good for me. The Apostle Paul finds himself in jail. He's chained up and more trouble is getting stirred up in his life. But the Apostle Paul has such a history with the Lord that he knows, just like this missionary, he knows, God, whatever you bring into my life, I know I can trust you with it. Even if I can't see why I should trust you with it, even if it doesn't make sense to me, even if I don't understand it, even if it looks like it's going to be a disaster, I know I can trust you with the trouble that is coming into my life because you will find some way to use it for my good your glory my good in your glory now what's crazy about this in the Apostle Paul's life is I don't know everything that happened in the Apostle Paul's life leading up to this time but I can almost guarantee there had been a lot of situations that he had gone through where he had learned this lesson already times where he was in a hard situation and going like there's no way this thing is gonna work out and then God found he saw some way that God used it for his good and for god's glory that's the only way you learn that lesson but here paul is in this time and paul's in prison and you got to know a little bit about the apostle paul like the apostle paul is like the ultimate doer like his personality is like he is a get the job done kind of guy like he is not messing around in fact we look back now when we see what we call paul's missionary journeys where Paul would like go to one place and he would preach and teach and lead people to Christ and set a pastor in place. And then he would go to another place and he would preach and teach and lead them to Christ until he ran out of money. Then Paul would go back and he would start making tents and then he would sell the tents to make more money. Then immediately he'd be back on the road, teaching and preaching, leading people to Christ, putting plas- pastors in place, encouraging pastors, answering the questions they have. Like Paul is on the go. It's like, hey, I got a problem at the church in Corinth. How soon can you be there? Paul would look at his watch and he'd be like, I'll be there Tuesday. Like He just goes from thing to thing to thing and never stops. He's so zealous for God that he is just on the move every single day. That's who Paul is. But here Paul's in prison. And Paul didn't know why he was in prison. He didn't know why God allowed this trouble into his life. But because Paul's in prison, he can't go to these churches he wanted to go to. He can't go encourage pastors. He can't go help them square up their theology that got a little messed up. He can't go and help these pastors deal with the problems they're dealing with. He's stuck in prison. So he's like, well, if I'm stuck in prison, I still have to find some way to encourage these churches, to encourage these pastors, to minister to them. So he starts writing them letters. Paul lives and dies, goes to the grave, rejoicing, trusting God, not knowing the significance of these letters that he wrote. These letters that Paul wrote become one-third of the New Testament. These letters that Paul wrote, we're still reading today. Almost every Sunday when we gather together, we hear some of Paul's words in these letters. Paul's influence was multiplied over the face of the earth, over time and history, in a way that he never could have even dreamed if God would have told Paul, there's a way that I could multiply your influence over time and history, and your words won't just go to the 50 or 100 people in that church, but they'll be spread to billions of people, Paul would have been like, sign me up, let's do it. But Paul was so busy going to churches, fixing problems, helping them, that he probably would have never slowed down on his own unless God slowed him down long enough to let him be sitting in this prison where he could write these letters that became a third of the New Testament in the most widely spread book across the face of the earth, the most widely read book in all of history, God was most certainly using this trouble in Paul's life for his good and for God's glory. Paul didn't even get to see it in his lifetime to fully understand what God was doing, but he still trusted him. If we can thank God for his provision in our life, if we can thank God for what he's providing for us, That's a good thing. We ought to do it. But if we want to grow, we need to learn how to thank God and walk in thanksgiving in the valley of life. Because if we can do that, God will feed us from our enemies what we need for the place that he's calling us to. But if we really want to grow, if we really want to mature, we have to learn to thank God even for the trouble. Not just in the trouble, but for the trouble. Because we know it's producing something in our life. This is part of the reason it's so important to be plugged into a local church body. We can grow on our own. We can have a relationship with God on our own. We might even be able to grow on our own. We can read the Bible on our own. But when we get surrounded by people who have walked with God for longer than we have, they can help us in the valley. They can remind us of a time where they can say, hey, I know what you're going through. I found myself in that valley a long time ago. And I stopped fighting the valley and just said, God, I'm going to trust you in this valley. And then the enemies of my life literally fed me what I needed for the next place that God was taking, to, taking me to. We can be surrounded with people who have walked with God for longer than, than we have, that have seen times in their life where they, all this trouble came into their life, and they realized that that trouble actually produced something significant in their life. Would you bow your heads this morning? I just wanna ask you where you're at in terms of Thanksgiving. You know, we just had Thanksgiving this last Thursday. We live in a time in history where Thanksgiving has gone the way of the dinosaur. Everyone's pessimistic about everything. Gratitude has been almost forgotten. Where are you at with this discipline of Thanksgiving? Do you even walk in thankfulness for God's practical daily provision in your life? Because there's so much around you. He has provided so much for you and so much for me. Maybe you have found yourself in a valley recently and these enemies of your life feel like they're just closing in on you. And now you realize that if you can walk in thanksgiving, those enemies will feed you what you need for what God has called you to in this next season. Or maybe you've been in a season that feels like the trouble has just been stirred up in your life. Trouble around every corner, on every level. And you've been frustrated by the trouble. You've been mad at it. You've been like, I've got enough stuff I've de- I'm dealing with. I don't need more trouble. But you realize this morning that you can start to thank God for the trouble because that trouble can actually produce something important inside of you, if you'll let God use it. God, I ask you to do something unique in our church. I ask you to do something special. I ask you to do something abnormal in our church body. In a time where it seems like nobody is thankful around us for much of anything, where entitlement is like at an all-time high, Lord, I ask you to make us a people who are thankful. Thankful for your provision. Thankful in the valley. And thankful even for the trouble. Lord, I ask you to do something so special in us, so different in us, that we would so stand out from the world around us because of our thankfulness and our gratitude. It would be like every other word coming out of our mouth would be thankful. God, I ask you to do it in us. Lord, I ask that this would be a season of our life in this holiday season that we're in that would be marked by gratitude. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. Cause us to be able to see that stuff and let worship erupt in our hearts out of that place. Like Paul sitting in prison where he said, because of the trouble I rejoice. Lord, when we receive the promise, don't let us forget the provider. I ask you to be with us as we go from this place, and again, we ask you to touch our friends and family who have been struggling with sickness. We ask you to bring complete and total healing to them that we could be together and worship again. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, and have a blessed day.